Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, August 12th, 2019, and today we are continuing our study on the book of Acts, and we will be joined by Tim Christ, our manager of church partnerships, as he leads us through Acts chapter 27, verses 1 through 44. Hello, and welcome again to the Defender Bible Study. This is Rick Morton. Um, Today we're going to be looking in the book of Acts at uh, chapter 27. We're coming close to the end of our study through uh, the book of Acts, and uh, excited to be taking a look this morning at um, at a pretty key passage um, in Acts as, as Paul is making his way toward Rome. And so um, in chapter 27, we find the, the story of um, Paul being shipwrecked and kind of the account of everything that led up to, to Paul's um, shipwreck and, and experience being uh, marooned on an island. Um, and so, um, you know, several things that we that we can notice right away out of um, out of this, and I think there's a there's a part of this in verse in chapter 27 that um, what's contained within chapter 27 is one of those places in Scripture where um, this this really bears witness to uh, the eyewitness account and and the authenticity of the account that's been given. Um, we've said over and over and over again that Luke really writes in in a great deal of detail. He he conserves a lot of details um, in in both of his volumes, both in in Luke uh, and in Acts. Um, in chapter twenty seven, we see that that Luke begins by saying that that we um, set off on a journey, and so he's he's using the uh, the pronoun we um, to let us know that he's a part of this a part of this party, and so the things that he's writing about are things that he saw and and things that he experienced himself, and and we see you know just like in Acts chapter sixteen and in Acts chapter twenty, um, Luke is is calling attention to his place in uh, in the midst of um, in the midst of this account and and the things that happen. Um, kind of what we see in this passage, and and what lends credibility to to the fact that it that it's authentic is is one. Um, it it speaks to very common conditions um, within the um, within the area that um, that Paul and and Luke and the party would have been uh, would have been sailing from, and so um, you you can go back, and there actually have been. Um, studies that have been done and and looking at weather patterns and and looking at common uh, common occurrences with regard to um, the the weather patterns there in uh, in the area and and this very much is is within keeping um, with the with the kinds of things that are talked about with regard to the storm and and how the ship was tossed about and how they were not really able. Um, to make it to to the port of Phoenix, um, another thing that that really lean, lends a lot of credibility to this is is this is an account that is um, probably pretty evidently written by what uh, what they used to call in the old pirate movies a landlubber. Um, that that this was not written by an experienced sailor. This wasn't written by a fisherman who knew nautical terminology, but this was written by someone who was 
telling you what they saw and and what they heard around them, um, and they were describing it the best that they possibly could. And so, the account when you you know when you look at it in the Greek language is is rich with detail, but it's short on on using nautical terms and things that sailors would have been familiar with, and and really is something that you could expect that would be written by a doctor um, who was trying to to explain his. Um, his surroundings and tell the story. Um, and so when, as we move through um, verse 27 or chapter 27, we see that, um, that the apostle Paul, you know, sort of steps out in, in the early part of the chapter um, and is at the behest of a Roman centurion who has, uh, who's been given charge of him. And, and it's kind of this account and this narrative of the different ships that they that they go on and the way that they seek passage um, in order to make their way, um, in order to wake the, make their way toward Rome. And so there's this um, centurion named Julius who is the one who is um, who's kind of in charge and the one who's who's leading them. And and so they they reach a point where in in verse nine it says, since much time has passed, the voyage is now dangerous because the fast was over. And it says, and Paul advised them, Paul not being a sailor either, he was, um, remember, a tent maker. He said, um, saying, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only to the cargo and the ship, but also um, of our lives. And so here we see this, this great contrast where Paul, the accused, who's been being treated fairly well and, and has been um, given access, people, he's been able to, to have access to other people and other people have been able to have access to him. And it seems to be um, that, that though he's a prisoner, um, that, uh, that Julius is, is treating him you know, well and, and fairly liberally in his, um, in his imprisonment. That Paul puts out this warning and says, um, "You know, I think this could be really dangerous. I don't think we ought to do this." And uh, and instead, Julius takes the the recommendation of of the sailors, of the captain, and of the sailors that are there, and um, and they um, and they begin to to try to make their way um, toward Phoenix, which is a, a harbor of Crete. Um, and they're trying to leave a place called Fair Havens in order to to get to Phoenix. And it, it's kind of funny, probably a little bit ironic, that they couldn't they couldn't wait to get out of Fair Havens. Apparently, Fair Havens wasn't all that fair, and uh, and may not have been all that great of a haven. And so they were trying not to winter in Fair Havens. They were trying to to make it as far as Phoenix to winter because because the sailors um, thought that they would be more comfortable and it would be a better place for them to. You know, to ride out the winter, and so, um, and so they take off, um, supposing that the weather's fine. In verse thirteen, but verse fourteen tells us that soon a tempestuous wind called a northeaster um, struck from the land, and and that the ship was tossed, and it, it they couldn't face um, into the wind, and and so um, they had to give way and had to just go with it and go with the wind, and it says. Um, that they were um, kind of running alongside um, these islands and were being pressed on, and there was there was a storm, and this was a storm that was bad enough that it that it didn't just it didn't just scare Paul, um, it scared the it scared the sailors. Um, it says in uh, that, that first they um, 
they they hoisted up the the ship's boat so they they secured like the the land going vessel and it says then they feared they would run aground and so they lowered the gear and then were driven along and then finally they began to to throw over the cargo in verse 18 and they in on the third day it says in verse 19 that they began to show throw the the ship's tackle overboard. And so they were literally throwing over the things that would help them sail well because they were afraid they were going to sink. And and so this is a, a, a huge and an awful storm. And, and so I really want us to kind of focus into verses 21 through 25 today um, and really just kind of take a look at, at what Paul says to us or, or what Paul says about the storm or what we see about the storm and Paul's reaction to it that we can apply um, to our own lives when when we are enduring storms. Now, metaphorically, that would be uh, most of us are not going to be you know out on a ship and be in in the middle of high seas and and enduring that kind of storm. But it but there are all kinds of things in medical diagnoses and financial peril and all kinds of things that we face. And and the way that Paul reacted to the trial around him is something that we can you know we can certainly learn from. And so beginning in verse 21, it says, they, um, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God whom to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told, but we must run aground on some island. And so four things that we learn out of this passage um, from Paul is that, number one, that he knew that God was with him. And he says that that this angel in verse 21 appeared to him, and, and or verse 22, I'm sorry, and, and said to him that, um, that there's going to be no loss of life, but only they would lose the ship. In verse 23, the, this very night, there stood before me an angel of God. And so um, that, that Paul, was, Paul was completely assured of the presence of God when he was, when he was talking about his circumstances. Remember, he's, he's been twice reassured uh, and told by Jesus that personally that he was going to make his way to Rome. And so, but Paul is able to tell them, not only am I going to make it to Rome, not only am, am I going to live, but you're going to live because God told me that you're going to live. Um, now, for for most of us, we've never we've never experienced the the direct um, uh, audible speaking of of God to us, and and so where do we go to draw our assurance? Well, we we draw our assurance from uh, from God's word, from passages like Matthew chapter twenty eight, and and we know that in the Great Commission that Jesus commissions us as His church to go and to to make disciples and to teach and and to baptize and to do all these things in order to proclaim the gospel and and in order to to grow the church. But then he promises that as we've been sent out to do that work, that he will be with us always, um, even to the end of the age. Um, we look at passages like uh, Romans 8, um, 38 and 39, and where, where Paul writes, 
Um, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and so this idea that Paul is saying that there's, there's literally no force in the universe that can take us away from God, um, that God is with us and we are with him, that when we've been sealed in salvation, when we have a part in Jesus, um, that, that because of that we can be protected. Um, number two, Paul was, Paul was confident that he belonged to God. So in verse 23, Paul is reminds us about how confident he is that he belongs to the Lord. So it says, This very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and to whom I worship. Um, so Paul was declaring that he was, he was able to endure this trial, he was able to endure the storm, and he was able to be calm and keep a cool head about him because he knew ultimately that he belongs to the Lord. If we go to, to 1 Peter um, chapter 2, uh, verse 9, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, um, talking about us, he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, that, that all of these things that are said about us, a royal priesthood, a, a chosen nation, a, that, that all of these things are, are a part of of being chosen by God, about by, by, by belonging to God. Other places, the scripture talks about um, that we, how, how we belong to God. We belong to God like a bride to a bridegroom. Um, and, and we all know, any of us that are married, um, husbands, you know how fiercely um, you, you want to love and protect your wife. You know that, that, that you always want to, um, you know, to, take the side of your wife and protect your wife and, and, and give to your wife and make sure that he's okay, how much, how much greater is Jesus the bridegroom protecting his bride, us, the church? Um, that we belong to Jesus like a, like a child belongs to a parent. Um, you know, again, how fiercely do we as parents want to defend and protect our children and, and even more so God wants to fiercely um, defend and protect us. Um, and, and then he talks about us, us being like sheep to a shepherd, that we belong to God like sheep to a shepherd and, and sheep who are really basically defenseless and pretty, pretty dumb animals. Um, that, that the shepherd looks out for them and seeks after them. We see this, you know, this metaphor in Scripture about the, the shepherd leaving the 99 in order to go and find the one, and, and that that's, that's the kind of belonging that we have with God. Um, the, the, the next thing that Paul says is he, in verse 23, also he says that he was in the service of God. He says, the God whom I serve. Um, he knew that he had been set aside um, for good works, that there was, there was this idea that, um, that he, that as, as we see in Ephesians, that, that Paul says that, that we are set aside for good works that have been, uh, that we've been, we've been chosen for good works um, that have been set aside for us before the foundation of the world. And, and Paul knew this. He knew that there was no storm that was going to thwart the purposes of God. It didn't matter. It might be difficult. It might be, might be windy. It might be wet. They might have to swim for their lives. But at the end of the day, that, that God had promised him that he was going to make it to Rome for the sake of the gospel and that he was going to be able to tell about Jesus in the seat of civilization and that, and that God was, 
that that God whom he served was going to work out his purposes in his life. And then finally, um, Paul trusted God in all circumstances. The, the fact is that Paul shows the same kind of trust for God in this passage that, that we see in, uh, in places where, where Paul is, is winning obvious victories and where, where ministry is easy. Um, we we kind of come to this this place after where he's he's confronted them in verse 21 about the fact that they haven't eaten in a long time. And then he says, um, in verse 27, it says, When the 14th night had come, as they were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat, into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes in the ship's boat and let it go. So, so Paul ultimately um, trusts God and acts within that trust to, to, to lead the centurion to cut away the sailor's ability to run away so that they all could be saved. He kept his head about him, and, and, he, and he stayed focused on Jesus and what Jesus had told him, and he stayed, he stayed focused in the moment on what God had called him out to do, and, and he didn't panic. And ultimately, in, in chapter 27, what we see is that he comes out the leader. It said, as a day, in verse 33, as a day, as the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food. Today is the 14th day that you've continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, not as a hair, uh, as a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he said these things, now listen, it sounds like that he's, he's modeling Jesus here. It says, when he said these things, he took bread and he gave thanks to God. And in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. So Paul, so these, so the people that are around Paul, they haven't eaten 14 days because they're trying to save their provisions um, in the event that they're shipwrecked in a place where they where they can't be provided for and where they need the provisions that are on the ship. And and Paul turns around and says this incredibly miraculous thing to them. He turns around and says, "No, stop and eat." Like God has provided for us now, we need to eat now, and God will provide for us in, in, in whatever he does. And so he trusted God in the circumstances that, that, that God would provide for them and that God would make a way. And we see throughout the rest of the chapter that, that there is a shipwreck and, and the ship is torn apart. And literally, that, that, that prisoners are thrown out to, to hang on to pieces of wood from the ship and pieces of the wreckage to, to float to the shore. But don't miss the fact in this that this storm gave Paul the opportunity to, to, to testify to Jesus. He gave, it gave Paul the opportunity to show character that comes from Jesus and being calm in the midst of the storm. It gave him the opportunity to imitate Jesus in, in the feeding of the people. And it ultimately made Paul, very, very strangely, the leader of this situation, even though um, he was a prisoner. And, and so I think what we can learn from this today is that the storms in our lives give us an opportunity to be able to put the worth of Jesus on display, to be able to, to show the value of our relationship to Jesus and to show how much we trust the Lord, um, even in the midst of difficulty, and that God will use the shipwrecks. He will use the difficulty in our lives if we're people who set our minds upon um, 
showing that we know him and that we have confidence in him, um, demonstrating that we belong to him, dedicating ourselves to, to being in his service and trusting that God will accomplish his purposes through us and, and trusting him no matter what the circumstances are around us. And so today, I hope, I hope you've been blessed by the time that we've spent uh, in Acts chapter 27, and, uh, and we are uh, looking forward for you continuing with us for the next couple of weeks as we finish up uh, the book of Acts and, uh, and see what the Lord has for us as Paul continues to journey toward Rome. Well, thanks for joining the Defender Bible Study. This week, we are praying for the country of Hungary. We are praying for the families in process as they wait. We pray for the 10 families who have dossiers registered at the ministry. We pray we start seeing younger referrals again. And we pray for the discrimination specifically against the Roma children and the population of Roma as a whole. We pray that the Lord would protect these children and families from discrimination. We pray for three, three families who are in country right now and two that will travel here shortly. We pray for our Lifeline team, for Josh and Jana and Brianna and Toria. We pray for uh, Adam in Hungary as he navigates the adoption process in Hungary. And we pray as he continues building relationships with government officials. We pray for the country of Hungary as a whole. Many Hungarians call themselves Christians, but most families have described it as a spiritually dark country. We know that many Orthodox and strong religious traditions in Hungary overplace and overshadow a relationship with Christ. We pray that our families will continue to share the gospel when they travel and for opportunities for our staff to be lights in the darkness uh, to the on-the-ground team. We pray that the Ministry of Human Resources and Department of Family and Demographic Affairs, the Central Authority in Hungary, will continue to be in favor of international adoptions and see the urgency in preparing paperwork for children. We pray for our contact at the U.S. Embassy, who always helps our families. And we praise the Lord for families who are called to adopt from Hungary. We praise the Lord for the 12 children who recently came home from Hungary in 2018 and the 16 children who will come home by the end of September of this year. We are so thankful for all the Lord has done in this program. And we certainly praise the Lord for Adam, our teammate on the ground, and all he does for families. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to work in Hungary. We thank you for the things that we see you are doing on the ground. Lord, but we know that ultimately this country is spiritually dark, that many people have uh, over, overshadowed a relationship with Christ by spiritual orthodoxy and spiritual routine and religious traditions. Lord, we just ask that our families and others would be, have the opportunity to make the gospel known to our team and to others in Hungary as they travel. We ask that our team here at Lifeline would have the opportunity to make the gospel come to bear in our relationships, both with the central authority and with our contacts on the ground and with our team. Lord, we just ask that you would continue to bring families to bear that would be called according to your name and called according to your purpose, who would want to bring children home from hungry into their homes. We pray that you would give them uh, not just a vision for adoption, but a vision for ministry and hungry. And we ask that you would prepare them, that you would go before them, and that you would use them to make the gospel known. Lord, we praise you that the Central Authority in Hungary right now sees international adoption as a viable option, and we pray that they will continue to see that urgency in preparing paperwork for children. But Lord, we praise you as well for all that you are doing. We ask that you would continue to work and to move in a mighty way in the country of Hungary. Lord, we love you, and we love the people that you made and created in Hungary. But Lord, we just ask that you would open their eyes to the discrimination that they have against the Roma people and against the Roma children. Lord, soften hearts of your church in Hungary for the Roma population. And Lord, soften your hearts for the people of Hungary for the Roma people, that they may not live in discrimination, but they may live in freedom. 
And Lord, ultimately, we pray that your gospel would be made known amongst the Roma so that the freedom that they have is not just freedom uh, uh, socially, but freedom from, freedom from sin and freedom from their baggage and freedom in Christ. Lord, we ask all these things on behalf of the nation of Hungary in your great name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.